Well, good morning and welcome to another FS Club webinar coming out of London today. Uh, we're delighted to have Karen Jane with us. Karen is the CEO of Nile One, of which we'll hear more later, and you've read uh, Karen's CV a couple of times just to sign up for this. So as ever, we're going to pile in as quickly as we can. Uh, and that's uh, no surprise because the topic today is how to accelerate financial services innovation using third-party technologies. Uh, you might think that financial services has been accelerating a heck of a lot over the last few years, the fintech uh, revolution, et cetera. But Karen's here uh, to explain uh, some of the intricacies uh, and some of the obstacles and some of the ways forward in this exciting space. Now, you'll know me. I'm Michael Minelli, one of the directors of Zien, and it is always a privilege to be able to open uh, and chair these exciting sessions. But I can only do so thanks to the uh, generosity, tolerance, and wide interest, not just of us, but more, moreover of our sponsors who allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. And you'll see here amongst our sponsors, many in technology and many in finance. So I hope it's of interest to them. How do we, how do we accelerate? Um, now, the format today is one familiar to many of you. Uh, my job is to get out of the way as quickly as possible. Karen will be speaking for approximately 20 minutes, and then we have approximately 20 minutes for Q&A, and that's where we're counting on you to send in your questions. So three points of housekeeping quickly. Yes, this is being recorded. Uh, the recording will go up in about two working days, so about midday on Thursday, I'd, oh, sorry, midday on Friday, I'd expect, but just in time for weekend uh, reviewing popcorn, et cetera, with the family. Uh, second thing is that the slides are up. In fact, they're already posted in the chat room. Uh, so yes, Karen has kindly made them available to all of us. Uh, and thirdly, how do you participate in the Q&A? Well, you just type uh, questions into the GoToWebinar Q&A facility, which we like because it has a couple of advantages. Uh, first, uh, all of your questions, comments, observations will be sent to Karen after, after we close, and they will have your email attached so you can get back to you. So if you want to congratulate him on a great presentation or uh, talk to him about a service or whatever, just type it into the chat room and we, he, we will make sure that he gets that and he can respond to you uh, as, he, as he wishes. So uh, it's really a, a great system to use if you can. And I'm hoping with today's audience, which is slightly smaller than average, to have a much more vibrant session. So there should be plenty of time for you uh, to have your tuppence worth. Now, to start you having your tuppence worth, we're gonna start quickly with a poll, if I may, uh, just to get things going here. And Karen, to give you a feel for the audience, why is innovation in financial services important? Is it because uh, changing at customer expectations, they're expecting better services, more services? Is it regulatorily driven? Or is it because technology is advancing a pace and changing the way that we work? Now, Karen, um, one of the great things about the audience here is their vibrant enthusiasm. We're well over two thirds of the audience have voted, three quarters even. Uh, so we'll very quickly show you the results of that vote so you get a flavor of it. Uh, and yes, it looks at regulation, but personally, um, I would have put regulation much higher, um, but we've got a split here between advancements in technology, which is just over half the audience, and just over a third on changing customer expectation. So uh, with that, uh, I, I might say, Karen, uh, the floor is very much yours. Over to you. Thank you, Marco. Thank you for having me, and thank you, everybody, for joining. Just a quick background on me, uh, Karen Jane, CEO for Now One. My background's about 20 years in financial services and technology. So I've toggled between uh, 
banking and other financial services, so wealth, capital markets, um, and insurance, as well as startups. So I kind of toggle every um, every seven to eight years, depending on uh, how I'm feeling in that decade. Um, and that thankfully gives me a unique perspective of the security, the risk, the third-party risk management that's required for a, from a banking, which is a regulated entity, um, to maintain. Um, versus the speed and the nimbleness that a startup can have and the importance of those two organizations working together. So if we go to the next slide, before we go into how, um, I want to go into why, why innovation is important in financial services. Um, so if we look at some of the macro trends, um, the IT spend in general across across the globe and across the sector is growing and is continually growing. What this doesn't factor in um, is the impact of things like embedded finance and, and the VC. This is a traditional IT spend graph. So that's what you've got on the left side. But if you look on the right side of the slide, um, and many of you um, answered that poll, is why, um, why innovation is important. I think there's a couple more factors um, that why innovation is important. We know the regulation game has been active for the last 10 years. I think now it's more about how do you consolidate number of regulations at an organizational level to get that efficiency rather than implementing changes every time a new regulation comes in. We've also seen a lot of margin compression and that's driven by you know a lot of uh, fintech um, in the market that's offering a similar product at a much lower cost base um, uh, or, or a price point and that's fueled by the venture capital money for, for, for all the right reasons of growth um, and, and market competition is good. But the other couple of things that are, um, that are impacting and that, that's accelerating the need for innovation are actually the shortage of talent and, and skills um, and that, that um, the way I look at it, if if an individual's got two um, options to work, uh, whether you go for a, a traditional financial services firm or whether you go for a, uh, a a new fun fintech that's got a table tennis table and a stock fridge, um, you know sometimes the the options and and flexibility, uh, it sometimes is not not a hard decision to make. We, and, and they can pay better because they're fueled by the venture capital, which drives um, even harder, uh, which makes it even harder for um, financial services to attract talent. And they, it's the same talent pool, which is which is short to start with. Um, the other big thing that's uh, accelerating uh, the need for innovation in financial services is we 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 spoke about the changing customer. Uh, expectations. So if you go back to, you know, if you're using Uber or if you're using Deliveroo, you know, that's, that's, we've been using that for five to 10 years now, five-ish years, and, and that's part of our daily life. Now, there was this uh, conversation a couple of years ago where your banking app is more, should be more around your life and your experience app. Finance should be fitting around your life. So, and, and in the last 18 months, we're seeing the rise of embedded finance and it's got some room to go. So embedded finance is another big indicator, a big driver of the why innovation uh, in financial services is critical. The other thing that's not started happening yet, and I, and I say that, um, is the impact of Web3. 
and, and uh, digital assets and crypto um, on finance and, and on our lives and how we, you know, how, how we transact. Um, so, and, and CBDCs, let me throw that in there. Uh, that's uh, central bank digital coins. Uh, so, so that's another big impact, another big wave of impact that's about to come in, in next three years. So you put all that together and if you're a traditional financial services and you've got a customer base, um, what do you do? Because you've got all these fintechs with all the cool products that are being part of people's life experience. Um, so you're either losing your customer base or you're struggling to grow your revenue. And innovation becomes a key lever, one of the key levers to actually grab that market share. So if I go to the next slide, please. So if I look at, um, and, and slides are available, and I'm not gonna go through all of this, but I just I put this out there for, um, for an impact, which is partnerships with third parties isn't new, right? Um, where if you look at the, the evolution part, parameters that we've been speaking, we've spoke about in the last slide, the customer expectations, um, it's hyper-personalized where we are today. From a new technology perspective, with 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about banking apps and we're talking about, you know, even before we're talking about online banking apps. And today we don't see banking apps because it happens around us. Regulatory drivers, um, uh, we, we're all aware of them. But the two that I want to focus on this particular slide is the competition, the new competition. And that's not just from the new fintechs. We're seeing a lot of big tech partnering with big banks and bringing products to market. You know, we've seen a number of cases where Apple's pushed out a, a credit card. Um, AWS has pushed out a SME loan in Europe. Um, we've seen um, Apple acquire a credit, um, credit analytics company from UK in the last 12 months. Um, and, and, you know, so, so that's new competition. And then you've got different business models and it goes back to the whole embedded finance point of view and and the example I want to draw there is if you imagine a HR software company right which has a traditional business of providing a HR platform to 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 businesses like mine where I can manage people's leave I can manage the records but now that's starting to offer health insurance prepaid credit cards, that's the change in business model. Traditionally, I would have gone to bank for that. And now that's all in one place, taken care of where all my health, uh, where my HR elements are. So that, you know, I just want to draw that ex those examples out and that's where we're headed. If we go to the next slide, please. So um, going back to one of the points I made earlier in terms of innovation in financial services and why go with third party. I think the way, just drawing on my personal experience here, so, so where, you know, in, in one of the past lives, I used to run technology for a bank uh, in, in Europe and America, and, and it just dawned on me that why I would go and build certain things when we've got really smart tech companies in the city and around the country that I could partner with to actually get the product much quicker to market for my customers, right? And that's where it all started for me. Um, and if you look at, you know, kind of a funnel 
where you've got the ideation in terms of may it be revenue growth, may it be a regulation, may it be improving customer experience. Those are all the reasons why you go and innovate. But end of the day, you're either trying to meet the regulation, you're trying to grow the revenue, or you're trying to maintain the turf or the market share that you have, um, or launch or launch a new product, which is for new revenue again. So that's kind of your funnel. Just at the bottom of the slide, I want to I want to draw um, uh, the distinction between the efficient operations, which used to be how we used to innovate, and that would be your robotic process automation. That's where we all kind of started. And okay, how can we automate certain things? How can we, you know, consolidate certain things? Uh, to all the way down to where we are today, which is new product propositions. Right, so we're talking. You know, we've seen a lot of buy now, pay later. It, it's got its fair share of press recently, but that's just as an example. You're also looking at um, crypto banks. So these are all new product propositions that probably didn't exist 24 months ago. Um, and what is traditional financial services kind of doing about it? Well, I think there's a lot of good experience that sits within the financial services. Uh, traditional financial services, they're able to see the market, they're able to risk assess it, they're able to look at macro and then go, okay, well, is buy now, pay later a right product for me, for my customer base? Should I be going into a retail buy now, pay later? I'm, and I'm just drawing on buy now, pay later as an example. Should I be going into a retail buy now, pay later or, pay later, or should I be going for a B2B buy now, pay later? And, and most Often, from what I see in the market, most of these organizations look for third-party vendors to accelerate their time to market. If we go to the next slide, please. So collaborating with third parties is not new. Uh, we've been buying software as long as 100 years ago. And 100 years ago, we were buying core banking softwares, or maybe we were building them. But you know, as far as I can remember, we've been buying software. The shift has actually been a lot in the last 10 to 12 years where you've gone buy versus build conversation. Most organizations, when they're having internal discussions about a new product or a new program or a new transformation, it's, okay, are we gonna build this or are we gonna buy this? I just wanna draw on a, uh, a point here that, that I see in the industry. It's very much, Buy if you can, there has to be a very good reason for you to build. And usually that reason is there's got to be an alpha, i.e. there's got to be an edge that you don't want everyone in the market to have. And so where most people I see would go partner with somebody and then implement a little bit of an edge that makes, that differentiates them for their customers. Um, uh, so, so things like uh, it could be an experience, it could be pricing, it could be, um, embedding into other parts of the experience. Uh, so, so those are, are, are how uh, I see some of the uh, reasons why um, people partner these days. Anything that's commoditized, you just like, for example, now everyone needs to have buy now, pay later, just to get into that example again, or everyone just needs to be able to transact on crypto. That's fairly commodity. Um, you just go and partner with somebody as long as it, it meets your risk appetite, your partner appetite and so forth. So if you look at the slide there, again, the slides are available. Um, this isn't new, this is, you know, in the last five to 10 years, there's, there's all sorts of third party partnerships that are happening and, and third party partnerships are ever so more critical uh, for the future of finance and where we're headed.
um, and it comes down to the impact, which is um, speed to market um, and customer satisfaction and meeting your regulation, regulatory obligations. So those, you know, they, those are usually how I think about things. And, and of course, security is a big, cybersecurity is a big element. It's, it's, I'm not gonna bring that up because that is almost a given. So I'll just put that in everything that I've spoken about here. Security and resilience is, resilience is applied to. Um, so I wanna um, go on to the next slide, please, and ask another poll question. In your opinion, what do you think is the biggest barrier for innovation? Great, well as ever, uh, Karen, this is gonna be a very fast response here. Um, and it's been a treat, yeah, we're, over half the audience have voted. We'll just give it a few more seconds. Amazing. Uh, this is not what I would have predicted. Uh, let's have a look at it. Process. Nearly two-thirds think it's process. People a distant second and technology barely featuring. Wow. Yeah. What do you mean of that? that? That's accurate. It's the process, right? Um, and, and I think the people element is related to the process uh, because when teams, so you've got an A team and you've got multiple teams working with each other, and if the process isn't clear, it causes friction. If the objectives aren't clear, it causes friction. And that's where the people element comes in, right? So uh, yeah, I, I very much agree with that. I'm actually quite pleasing to see that. Uh, the other thing, just on that you know, last point, is why aren't we using technology to fix that process and help us with that process? Um, you know, we're, 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 we're a pretty smart industry when it comes to financial services, um, we need to adapt to for the future of finance and we for the for the for the new generation of consumers. Um, we can't be doing what we're doing like we were for the last 50 years. We need to change the way we work. So I spoke to about 50 CIOs and CTOs before we got going with Naya One and go, why is working with third parties so hard? Why is innovation so hard? Um, and again, slides are available, but if you think about it, it can take up to 12 to 18, and you know, people say they've, they've got faster, so I'll go, okay, it can take up to six to 18 months for you to get access to a third-party provider before you know that third-party provider is suitable for your business need. Um, and that is, if you look at the start of the funnel, uh, a few slides ago, when you're in the ideation mode and trying to evaluate who can help you in the market, that's a big, big barrier to get through. Um, and as you see in the current slide, you know, from a discovery point of view, trying to work out who you should be working with, trying to shortlist them, and you know, we've generously kind of put onboarding them to eight to 16 weeks, but it can be sometimes much longer, um, then evaluating them, and then every single box here, uh, or every single pillar here, is a different team in an organization. And you can see, just by the nature of process, every handoff costs time. Every handoff causes inefficiency. And my question is very simple. If I'm just trying to evaluate which one of the third parties is gonna be the best provider for my business outcome, why do I have to go through all of this? And why can't I automate parts of evaluate without having to sacrifice nine to 12 months? Right, and that is the question, and that's the that's that's the main 
industry mind shift that, that we're going through at the moment, which is third party risk, supplier management, cybersecurity resilience, absolutely critical. Consumer protection, absolutely critical. All of that doesn't need to be applied to the front of the funnel when you're trying to filter out what's available in the market and what's good for you and for your business outcome. And that's the fundamental process mind shift and automating is the process that, that we go through. So if we go onto the next slide, um, I've taken the liberty of, of putting out some of the some of the options of how you can activate open innovation depending on the stage your organization and the urgency and the priority your organization has on innovation or working with third party. So you've got use case specific where you go out and you scout for the right third party tech providers. Uh, you can set up an accelerator and incubator. We see a lot of that happening in the city and around the country at the moment. Uh, and it's good to see a lot of academic institutions getting involved to bring in the, the next generation in. Um, you can, if, you, if you can't set up one of your own, there's plenty of good ones in the city that you can join. Um, you can run hackathons. We see people running hackathons and we're seeing the shift from people running a, not just an idea-based hackathon, but actually technical hackathons to get to a prototype stage by just adding a couple extra days to it. Um, and, and that's good for uh, some examples. If you've got a core product that you put out there and you go, hey, invite all the fintechs to see how you can build on top of it. And guess what? That will come up with new product ideas and potential distribution channels to grow the top line, right? You can also run hackathons internally to engage the staff to come up with new product propositions or you know, improvements, just going back to the slider of innovation earlier. You got talent sourcing, so running hackathons and, and running competitive drills, uh, that's important. Um, you know, talent's usually looking to, uh, you know, hiring's hard, hiring's hard for everybody. The two most common things, just very quickly, that I find is people want to join for something where they can make an impact and believe in the purpose, right? Um, that, that's the most two common answers that I get. Um, or I can sense when people are, are, are speaking with now. The uh, next part is the collaboration platform. So if you're at a stage um, at a scale where you have more than five innovation projects or five problems that your organization's trying to solve, you can have platforms like us. Here's a, here's a little, little, little um, shameless plug to use the digital sandbox uh, to accelerate that innovation. And, and I will, I'll go into one of the slides afterwards to just tell you how the platform set up to, to, to that. And then you've got uh, strategic investments, right? So you've, you've got pretty much every, most organizations um, uh, around the country have a corporate venture capital or they've joined a, um, a VC where they're a liquidity provider to invest in the future. And most people invest in either if a particular tech company can help them grow their business or a potential competitor or a threat, right? So those are the two, two most common reasons I see uh, people investing in. And so look, if I was to just do a quick recap before I go into um, how, how, how we set up uh, at now one, it's the reasons for innovation, why? And it's not only just the changing customer expectation, 
the consolidation or the sheer amount of regulation, the advancement in technology such as cloud AI and machine learning, um, and now we got quantum and DLT coming in the next couple of years, but also the rise combination of that, which is embedded finance and the shift to how we deal with finance uh, using the Web3 world when it, when it comes around in, in masses. So that's the why. The how is some of the things that are in front of you in the screen in terms of things you could do, uh, you know, some, something you could take home um, to see what works for your organization, one or many of them. Uh, and we work with clients in pretty much all of them to, to help do that. Um, and then, um, yeah, basically cutting the time short. It's, it's, it's all about speed to market. Um, and I'll just go to the next slide, which is my final slide, just to explain how we do it um, and, and why, why, why we're here is, is the, now one has two propositions. We have a digital sandbox and we have FinTech as a service. The digital sandbox helps you discover and evaluate different third party providers that can help meet that business outcome and that transformation goals. And FinTech as a service is where we help you scale to production where necessary. So within the sandbox, we've actually got four components and this is how we accelerate um, from 12 months to a month um, at about 80% less cost. Um, we have a marketplace. So we've got a marketplace of about 120 different tech providers that are technically accessible. So I wanna emphasize that point. This isn't a directory of FinTechs around the country and, and around, around Europe and US. This is actually 120 companies that you can access once you're authenticated through Naya One, which instantly saves you a lot of onboarding time. Um, and you can look at, as if you were looking at an open banking provider, you can look at, you know, out of the six different open banking providers we've got on the platform, you'll be able to very quickly evaluate which three or two you wanna work with. The second part of the platform is the data. Uh, so we've got about 135 different data sets um, and growing and same with the technical marketplace where it's really hard to get access to data even you know within your organization and then because of gdpr and for all the right reasons you it takes the process takes three months to get access to data so you can evaluate a fintech or a tech provider well what we've done is we've created uh, a range of synthetic data sets by working with um, a lot of people in the industry such as ONS, UK Finance, um, acquiring data from open bank, anonymized data from open banking providers, and then training our synthetic data on that data um, to make it industry relevant uh, for you to evaluate either somebody from the marketplace and or to build new products within the sandbox itself. The third thing is that is the sandboxes, which is the technical environments, and you can see that on the right. And then the last bit, and this is this is this is the glue that kind of holds it all together is the orchestration or the workflow that brings all these three things together because we, we all work in a regulated environment and in a regulated industry um, governance controls security data leakage um, privacy these are very important elements so these things have been codified into the platform um, and it also gives you, so, you know, when we usually work with clients, we would go through all these teams and make sure that the platform is okay by the organization to use, which basically you, you do that every time you do a third party, but you do that once with Naya One, you don't have to do that over and over. 
when you work with a third party. So that's it's it's a, it's a multi-speed element. Um, yeah, and that's that's me. Um, I don't know how I'm doing for time. If I'm early or we're, we're a little over actually. So let's uh, let's get cracking on some of these questions and folks. Uh, just a reminder out there that uh, you just merely need to type your questions into the chat room and we'll get them there. But we've got a few already here. Uh, I'm going to start with the first one that came in. Uh, Hugh Purser is wondering that this innovation process appears to emphasize products over customers. Are customers really now just commodities? Customer is the most important thing. So it's maybe implied in how I describe it. Product only happens because of customers. Right. So at, at before you start looking for a tech provider to build out a particular product, it is assumed that you've done some customer analysis. You know, you've done some business analysis, business case analysis in terms of, you know, which market you're going for, which product you're going for, what kind of profile you're going for. Customer is the most important thing. Otherwise, none of this exists. Great question. Thank you for calling that out. Um, if I could add a supplemental to that, Karen, how does the um, where do customers feature in your your system though? Do you I mean if I look at this as a bit like clinical trials, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you feature customers coming in? Do you have, for example, a a cohort of customers that I would get and be able to use? Yeah, that's a really good question. So so what we do, we have this uh, feature called beta testing, right? And and what that means is once so. Product teams come up with a product idea after some customer analysis. They've identified a number of tech providers. They've evaluated. They've built the prototype. They can then use the platform to invite either their existing customers or tap into the pool of non-customers or just put it out to the market, either with their branding or without their branding to get some customer feedback before they go, okay, this product is a goer with our customers or for new customers. Uh, let's put the business case forward. Now, okay. that usually takes two years in the market. Now, you can do that in months. Okay. I've got a question here from Clive Bullen. Um, you know, this this evolution of technology that you're talking about, will, will, will technology take power away from the City of London due to overseas tech companies taking over financial processes? That's a deep question. Um, don't think... No one can take away the power from the city of London. Um, just put that out there first. Um, I think technology is omnipresent and overseas or UK technology going overseas is equally relevant. And I think most overseas technology providers, if they were to come in, they usually look for partners within the city in order to make business happen. That's been my personal experience. So no matter, you know, even if like, I don't want to name anybody, even the biggest of unicorns, when they come to the city, they look for partnerships at the local level. Business is still pretty global, right? Like it's, it's uh, that's a great question. Hmm. Okay. Um, I've got a question here from Andy House. Um, you know, you've emphasized banking. Well, do the same challenges apply to insurance using InsureTech for innovation and solutions as with FinTechs for FS? It feels like we, we I think uh, Andy means the insurance sector, are 10 to 15 years behind in many ways, but could use many of the lessons to expedite overall digital transformation of industry. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if I look at the the pointy ends, you kind of look at capital markets, then wealth management, then you look at you know retail, and then and so forth, commercial banking and SME, and then you've got insurance, and you've got asset management, and you got you know. So that's that's I kind of see in terms of the the speed and timeline of changes. I I'd, I'd say my personal view is I think insurance. There's a lot happening in insurance today. Um, there's a stronger moat around insurance where most insurtechs are actually trying to sell to insurance companies, not actually release insurance products. Whereas, you know, you got a lot of neo banks in the retail banking side that are taking on the big banks. Um, but I think, in my, in my opinion, I think it's about a five to seven year window. It's, it's not, I don't think it's any longer 10 to 15 years uh, because uh, the neo banks are entering insurance, um, which puts the threat um, onto the insurance company. It's not a big threat yet, but that's how it started in retail banking. Hmm. Okay. Um, Amrit Satpathy is asking a question. You, you've sort of answered, but I think he'd like you to elaborate a bit. What are the barriers to innovation in digital banking and how quick are proof of concepts possible for rapid experiments? Yeah, so barriers for innovation, um, look, it's having the right problem to solve, which we don't have a silver bullet for. So I just wanna say that goes back to that customer problem. So knowing who the customer is and what problem we're trying to solve is absolutely critical. Then knowing who can help you with it, then getting into, then is the time to market piece, okay? Um, and the last tool we can help with. So in terms of the rapid experimentation, uh, what we see around, um, around town and around UK and across the continents is a, no matter what they say, how fast they're, it's a six to 18 month cycle easily um, for most organizations. And we can bring that down to weeks. The rapid experimentation, um, our average, we've done about 100 of those in 120 of those in the last 10 months. Um, we're averaging at about six to seven weeks to get hmm. to an outcome. Problem statement, Vendors identified on the platform, evaluated, decision made to progress with one of them. That's averaging at about six to seven weeks. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because the um, Russell Group just came out with a report to uh, Amrit. I'll try and stick it in the chat room. Um, and one of their big things was about the siloing of insurance, reinsurers and insurers and corporates are very siloed by product class and corporates are siloed by function. So, you know, a lot of what I think you're talking about, Karen, is quite right. It's about, you know, getting rid of some of that siloing, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, so most successful implementations that we see are actually at a group level. We do have to work with a lot of product teams, uh, but to inflict change, proper change, it's at a group level. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, well, now uh, so, something on my mind about about all of this stuff is you you mentioned embedded finance earlier, um, and funny enough, I, I I began using that term probably about uh, ten or twelve years ago. I I doubt I was the per first person to come up with it, but it's sort of an observation to me anyway, from me that the entire financial services sector has moved into being a utility, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> do, do I really want my financial services providers to be all wild west and, you know, and crazy and trying out new products all the time. No, no. Um, but as a utility, it loses a bit of its 
kind of pizzazz. Uh, when I was uh, working in the city, I started in the early 80s, and in the late 80s, there was a program called Capital City, and Capital City was, you know, fascinating for us, you know, Karen needs to go and find some CSDs. I don't know what a CSD is, but once he finds it, he gets the girl, you know, it was all quite thrilling, you know, <laughs> but now when I, when I go and tour these places, uh, you know, I've got tremendous amounts of ID and security and somber and everything's earnest and serious and, you know, boring and, um, and a lot of that. And yet, you know, your point here, I think, is we've got a, an industry that's moved into being a, a bit like an electrical utility or a water utility, you know, come and see my valves, they're really exciting, you know, come, <laughs> come and tour my telephone exchange, you know, it's kind of, it's very, very dull. And yet, the world of technology is wow and open, and it's a world of GitHub and piecing things together. And, and personally, I, I think I've seen that at Cien. We have a small development team, and I happen to think they're brilliant. Uh, and they do some amazing work with very few tools uh, to hand. They're not a very large department, but they depend completely on, on access to third-party services. And we as a small firm, probably, if I can be frank, don't quite take the amount of uh, care and attention that we ought to. You know, we get it up, we get it working, great, you know, it's super, it's fantastic. But we're not building those utilities. So uh, I think what you're doing is trying to reconcile the utility aspect of finance, which people have forgotten about, with the fact that the technology they depend on is 95, 99% external, whether they like it or not. Yeah, and that's a great point. Um, and I think, if I may, the other element is your distribution, right? So utilities need distribution. Um, and that distribution is changing. Like I heard this use case, and it's 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 insurance based, and I was fascinated by it, where insurance companies were working with ski pass, ski lift companies, to actually have embedded insurance as part of when you buy the ski pass for the week or for the weekend. Now, to me, that is there is no insurance company involved that I'm talking to about getting that insurance. There, there is no finance here. It's to my earlier point. It's a and to your point now, it's a utility, and it's become part of my life experience. Where I'm buying a life uh, like pass, <laughs> I'm buying a ski pass, and insurance becomes part of that because that's and and that is a great distribution. Now, where would you like traditionally think about a banker or an insurance broker was talking? Maybe they were, you know, talking to the ski uh, ski lounges about that distribution. Hmm. And do you see, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you, you provide sort of, when I plug into uh, into this NIA 1 system, I, I'm also plugging into a whole bunch of providers. Now, um, you know, let me ask you a, a blunt question. You know, is, it, is the place that you're going to make your money in more in developing a marketplace than it is in the use of the software? Um, it's both. So, so our business model is driven on the back of giving our clients, which is financial service enterprises, um, a place to evaluate, um, discover and evaluate third-party techs um, with speed and security, without, without, without putting the organization at risk, right? So that's, that's the value prop to the enterprise financial services. You know, obviously, having a good marketplace is a Kickstarter. Right. If we have, if we don't have good quality tech companies, good solutions in there, 
uh, no one's going to come to that. So they're they're interlinked, but the, the the business model is around speed and impact for the enterprise financial services. Hmm. Okay. And in terms of um, the way that this has been uh, greeted, you know, by the regulatory community, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of curious here as well. You know, I'm a large financial institution. I can see the need to start getting more systematic about these processes, but I go to see the FCA or PRA about something, and then they see the NIA one as yet yet more vulnerability. It's yet another piece of external software. Uh, what sort of reception are you getting from the mm -hmm. regulators? And uh, I, I, I suspect you're going to say very positive, but why? Why do they think it's positive? Uh, two, three points here. One, um, so, so given I was inside one of those regulated institutions, the way this thing's been built is with built with that whole process in mind. So we don't integrate with the bank, we don't, or the financial institution, we don't take their data, right? Mm -hmm. Keeps them, you know, the, the vulnerability element is, is, we reduce that scope. Then we have the environment that's secure and it's built with security principles and resilience principles with, with first, you know, as first principles. There's two points. From a regulator's point of view, they love this. Not only for themselves, because they get to use this to engage the community, both financial service institutions, fintechs, and actually have a collaboration of where particular trend on ESG or cybersecurity or privacy enhancement technology is headed, but also there it gives them comfort because the financial services institutions have a sandbox where they can go and evaluate different texts and the impact of that on their business before going and putting it into the production or you know from a time to market. So, so those are the two reasons, and it's not just you know, uh, and, that, and that's a view with, uh, with with number of regulators around, around globally. On this. All right. Well, I'm afraid we, we're coming to the end of time, but I, I hope people got a pretty good sample of what you're up to. I think you're advancing a, a wonderfully interesting thesis. It may be about the utility and plumbing aspects of stuff, but that's that. That's where the, the interest is, and I, I'm certainly finding it very interesting. So I appreciate very much you talking to everyone, but if I could, three quick rounds of thanks. Uh, firstly, uh, could I uh, thank our sponsors again? Uh, I hope you find it interesting, and I, I do think what Karen's talking about is the beginning of a, or the early stages of a trend that I believe is going to over take things. We haven't even had time to go into things like, for example, the automatic proving of the integration of all these services and, and a lot of other exciting areas one could develop. And hopefully we will uh, <laughs> over the months to come. Uh, but thank you sponsors for your tolerance. Uh, secondly, uh, may I thank the audience. You've been great today. Nice to see your comments and questions and uh, do keep them coming. Uh, as I mentioned, I'll be sending all of your comments and questions uh, to Karen. Uh, and if you want to say thank you or, or whatever, just uh, great. And you can reach out to Karen simply by typing something into the, uh, into the system over the next 15 seconds. Um, and do look ahead. We've got some exciting stuff uh, coming up. Uh, in fact, I'm a little surprised. I don't see what, one coming up tomorrow, which is absolutely fascinating. It doesn't appear to be on this list. Is uh, very much about London, dead in the water. You know, it's going to be about financial crime in London with a leading journalist, investigative journalist from Bloomberg, 
uh, very, very thrilling. But as ever, go and check out the website. But, Karen, I, I need to thank you. And in, in our traditional FS Club way, we too have advanced technology. And here is our advanced applause technology. Thank you, I thoroughly tested on all of our webinars. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity.